If you would please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Recently, because I've been doing a whole lot of uh, Old Testament reading, especially in the history books, um, I've been doing it with a map or a series of maps at my side, and it's actually been very helpful. If you do not have a Bible atlas, um, I heartily recommend this. And the way this is organized is is it goes in... It's not just maps, it actually goes in his, history order, right? And so there's a section on Genesis and Exodus, you know, and the Torah, then Joshua, Judges. And so it goes, it's easy to follow along, and it'll talk you through major events. It'll often have maps saying, hey, here, you know, when Joshua went into the land, all right, here's, that, here's exactly where he went, all right? Because he didn't go all over the land of Israel, he just went to these parts, all right? Um, or here's the route that the spies took, all right, based on the description of, uh, you know, in, in you know, the, the, the Pentateuch. Or here's the route the spies took whenever they went before they, you know, said, okay, we're not going to go in because they're giants and super tough. Anyway, great book. Totally recommend it. Um, I'm teaching a Bible history class at the local homeschool co-op. This is our... It has two textbooks, one Bible, one this, and I have really found this very useful. So if you want, you can drop by and take a look at it later. So Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear They are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau, and by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus and the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And that's the story of Genesis. I want to talk about faith today. We've, uh, the last two times I've taught, we've done a hurried overview of the book of Genesis. I want to stop and talk about the most, I think, the most important thing in the book of Genesis, and that is the story of Abraham, all right, and the story of his faith. And I start here because you've got now, you know, 2,000 years after Abraham, you've got someone reflecting on what faith is like. And so I want to look at faith in Abraham's life because he plays a big part here and elsewhere. Uh, But before we go there, please turn to Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen's speech, and starting in verse 2, and Stephen said, brothers and, father, uh, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran, and after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which... You are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others and would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. You know, in the book of Hebrews, in its discussion of Abraham's faith, one thing that it discussed there and gets mentioned here as well, is that Abraham lived his, had to live his entire life by faith in something that never happened in his lifetime, all right? In other words, uh, the faith was constantly forward-looking. Now, did it happen? Did, in fact, his, did he end up having lots of descendants, and did they end up living in the land? Uh, as a matter of fact, all those things did happen. But Abraham, all right, the father of the faithful, he never saw any of that. All right? he, he lived in Canaan for a while, but he never saw any of that. There's a few things about faith I want to talk about today, reflecting on the Abraham narrative. The first is this. All right? uh, faith is forward-looking, but faith is not something 
pretend. A lot of people look at faith as, oh, faith is just something you make up. Uh, we, we instead, we deal with facts or something like this, right? That's not actually biblical faith, all right? Um, me, you know, I would like, you know, I would really like this large house on a large piece of land. I'm going to daydream about that, blah, 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 all right? And I'm going to believe that I'm going to accomplish that one day. That's not biblical faith, all right? That's just uh, a daydream, all right? That might be something I can accomplish, but that's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is always accompanied by knowledge, all right? Now, the Hebrews passage tells you, all right, that it's not just knowledge, though. There is always a forward aspect to it. There's always an element of it based on the knowledge that you don't see. If you see it all, then it's not faith, all right? Faith is based on knowledge. Faith is based on knowledge. Faith is based on something that God has said or proven, all right? But it is also forward-looking. So it's not just something you make up. That's not faith. We can see this in Abraham. Now, in this, uh, the reason why I, I read the Stephen speech here, or at least this first part, he says there, and in verse 2, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. When I say Abram's, and then later Abraham's faith, was based on knowledge, what I mean is God appeared to him and told him, this is what's going to happen, all right? Now, we've talked about this before. Now, this particular appearing, I don't believe, shows up in the Genesis account. If you read the Genesis account, it's, it's as far as I can recall, doesn't ever discuss the fact that God appeared to him in Ur, but you do have this here in Stephen's speech. If you would turn to Genesis chapter 12. But God does actually physically appear to Abraham. I think often when we think about appeared, all right, we think vision, visionary experience. All right, that is not that is not what happened to Abraham here, all right? It is not a vision. Also, when I was, re I was rereading uh, Samuel, for Samuel, and um, if you look at the account of Samuel, I, I think God physically appeared to him too. If you read the narrative, God physically appeared to him, just as he did to Moses here, excuse me, uh, Abraham here. So if you would look at Genesis chapter 12, all right, Verse 7, then Yahweh appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he was in a, a location, all right, and he appears, all right. Now turn to Genesis chapter 18. Well, is he just having... Visionary experiences. I really don't think so. If you look at Genesis chapter 18, we talked about this one a few weeks ago. And Yahweh appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him, and one of them was Yahweh. All right? That's not a vision. That's him coming physically into the presence of Abraham and talking to him, and having a conversation with him as he, inter as he interceded for Sodom and talked about, hey, will you, 
will you destroy Sodom if there's this many righteous people and so forth, right? So Abram's, and later Abraham, named Abraham's faith, was based on knowledge. God appeared to him and said, you will have children, all right? You're, you will have many descendants, all right? Now, as we know from the narrative, all right, this is something that Abraham certainly could have doubted. As he said, all right, I'm old. Sarah, also very old, past childbearing years. How can we have a baby? All right. How can we do this? Well, Abraham had to have faith. Was it based on knowledge? Yes. Did he understand everything? No. Did he ever live to see any of these promises? Well, he did live to see Isaac. But he did not live to see all of those descendants, and he did not live to see them living within the land. So if you think about what Christian faith is, one thing that is true about Christian faith is it is based on knowledge. All right, It is not complete knowledge of things, but it is based on knowledge. And one reason why we need to study the scriptures all right, is because, well, that's where we get some of that knowledge. Now, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 starts this way. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now, it does, I mean, it's going to seem very strange to us, the idea that God would ask for someone to sacrifice a child. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, it is always, 100% of the time, always condemned. As a matter of fact, Yahweh never asks for a child sacrifice. However, um, we see no commandment of, of such so far in the Genesis narrative. As a matter of fact, there were certain gods in Mesopotamia in that area that actually, well, did want child sacrifices. And that's why there's condemnations of it throughout the Old Testament in lots of different places. Because some gods wanted sacrifice, the sacrifice of children. So at this point, if you're Abraham, or, or Abraham, at this point, and God says something like that, you might go, you might have a few thoughts going through your head. One, you said I was going to have this child, and now you want me to sacrifice him. Okay. Okay, that's a problem. But in terms of a God asking for a child sacrifice actually not out of the realm of possibility in the ancient world. Yes, God would potentially ask for this. Now, based on the book of Hebrews, all right, Abraham did this in faith because he knew that, well, God promised that I would have this child Isaac, and through him I would have many descendants. And so therefore, even God could even, just as he can kill, he could make alive. He could bring him back from the dead. But... It really would not be weird in the ancient world to think of God asking for a child sacrifice, at least until later when God made it very clear 
I hate child sacrifices. And all of such worship should be abolished in Israel. That was very clear. You'll see it especially in the prophets. It comes up quite a bit there. But here you've got Abraham going, God made a promise that I would get descendants through Isaac, yet he wants me to sacrifice him. I will do it. Let's continue. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, arose, and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now you could read that same statement there as he's just being deceitful, right? Because he says there, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. So was, was Abraham lying? And so I'm going to go sacrifice this child. We're coming back. All right. Or was actually this Abraham's faith based on Hebrews, right? Is this Abraham's faith going, we're going to go over there. In his mind, he's going, I'm going to sacrifice Isaac. And then we're going to come back. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God saying that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, Yahweh will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of Yahweh, it shall be provided. One thing that is also true about faith is you will be required to do things that you do not want to do. Faith is not a happy daydream where you just think pleasant thoughts all the time and hope good stuff happens. All right. Faith will actively make you uncomfortable. All right. You will have to do things that you will not like to do. All right. Either because, well, you're sinning and you need to repent. Or simply because you're weak and you need to be stretched to do something you're not ready for. Or you think you're not ready for. All right? Faith requires this. It required this of Abraham. Now, we, know this, we knew the story going in, right? We knew the story that Isaac would ultimately not be killed. Abraham did not know that. All right? Like I said... In the ancient world, you know what? Sure, Chemosh wants a child sacrifice. I will kill the child, all right? 
he did not know, as far as the narrative is concerned, all right, that Yahweh hates child sacrifice. He sees this command, he hears it, and goes, okay. All right? It must have been extremely difficult for him. Right? Yet, he would do it. Knowing that ultimately, God was faithful. And through that hard thing that he would have to do, that God would still somehow, in a way that he didn't understand, would bless him. And in fact, he didn't fully understand. Because... God would not ask that. And as a matter of fact, did provide a sacrifice at the time and avoided the whole sacrifice of the son entirely. So faith is not based in, it's not just a, we, you're ignorant and you just do things that you want and we just make up stuff and go after it. No, it's actually based on knowledge. God appeared to people. God spoke to people. And faith is based on those things. All right. And that faith will often pull you in to do things that you do not want to do, all right? That you do not want to do. And that's just the way it is. Another thing, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 17. 17, Genesis 17. Genesis? Yes. Related to the last one, but slightly different, all right? And this thing is, this is something that's uncomfortable, all right? And that is uh, not just circumcision, though that would be uncomfortable for the adults that had to do it here. One thing that is true about faith is it will separate you from those around you in some ways, okay? Let's read. Genesis 17, if we look at verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among, among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he and who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Abraham had... He and all his descendants were to have a physical mark, all right? A physical mark to separate him from those around him, all right? Other things that would separate him, all right? God called for and frequently had to, you, we, you see this a few times in the narrative, um, call the foreign gods from the people of God, all right? Uh, you, you've, got when, you've got Jacob coming back, with, with his wives, they've got the, the family gods with them, and God has to tell them, put them away, all right? You shall worship me, and you shall worship me only. When the exodus happens, they're coming out, and what does God have to tell them? You're different. You're not going to worship their gods. You're only going to worship me, all right? And then you get in the law a much more detailed and much more elaborate way of 
how they are going to separate themselves from those around them. And they were under the law, all right? And they were under the law for hundreds of years, all right? And then the New Testament comes around, all right? Gentiles were not under the law, but you know what? There are various ways and that we must still separate ourselves from those around us. Sometimes that's very unpleasant. Sometimes it means that look at, people look at you weird or think badly about you. All right? um, that is just how it is sometimes. The commandments of God, starting with Abraham, all right? actually starting before, the commandments of God brings, all right, brings you, will bring you issues with those around you. All right? I bet everyone thought that Noah was kind of crazy when he was building his ark, right? If you do the commandments of God, you will be separated from others, all right? Not completely. We're not all joining a monastery on top of a mountain, avoiding every people, uh, everybody. But as a matter of fact, living the faith will absolutely require that you separate yourself from people, and you need to be ready for that. All right, we're not called to leave all the non-Christians behind. You will mingle with them for your good and for their good. All right, you will be around them, and sometimes you will be able to do what they want to do, but sometimes they will say, "Let's do this," and you just have to say no. All right, and deal with the social consequences. All right, faith will require you to be separate. It always has. And it always will. So be prepared for that. So all this is about Abraham, right? There's other instances of faith in Genesis. But I want to leave Genesis again. I want us to jump forward quite a bit. Because Abraham is very distant from us, all right? Uh, not just in time and place, but also in race. So if you would, please turn to Romans chapter 4. Like, why, for example, uh, and I, I think this is a, a, a good question to ask occasionally, why in the world would we care about this Aramean guy, all right? This guy who was from the Chaldean, the area of the Chaldees, Mesopotamia, why would we care about this guy, all right? Now, his descendants, it would totally make sense that they would care about this guy. I mean, because he made promises through his, said, hey, through you, I will bless the world. You're going to have lots of descendants. All right. So that, I think, makes a whole lot more sense. All right. That they would care about Abraham. Why should you, who is actually not ethnically Chaldean in any way, probably, why should you care about this? Paul discusses this, all right? Now, Paul was a Jew, all right? He was a Jew. Um, so he naturally cared. In Romans chapter 4, we actually get some of the discussion of why Paul thought Gentiles should care. So let's, let's read Romans chapter 4. 
What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now at this point, it's still not clear why we should care. But let's do go ahead and stop here and discuss this. God told Abraham, Abraham, I want you to leave your land and your family. All right. And I want you to go to Canaan. All right. And if you go, I will bless you. Abraham believed. And at that point, all right, at the point of his faith, God declared him righteous. All right. Abraham, you're righteous. You're in the right. Continuing on, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. In other words, not blessed is the person who never sins, because all people except for Christ sin, but blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And their sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. All right. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Now, why would he ask this question? Well, he was writing to Romans. All right. And there were certainly Jews who he intended to be the recipient in this book, but also Gentiles, all right? And the Gentiles at the time would not generally be circumcised, all right? So he's here addressing the Romans. And is this blessing only for the circumcised, the Jews, or also for the uncircumcised? Good question. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before... Or after he had been circumcised. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Now, Genesis 17 is when the circumcision happens. We just read it. Right? Genesis 17 is when the circumcision happens. God counted Abraham righteous before that. So, Paul is, he, I mean, he's just, he's making a, a, a fairly obvious but very important argument from Genesis. All right. Abraham was declared righteous. Then at a later time, he was circumcised. Now, is that just historical happenstance or is that important? Paul thinks this is actually very important. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So the circumcision was just a sign of what was actually true of him before, that he had faith and he was a, you know, a servant of God. The purpose was to make him the father, all right? And this is where the sequence is important, all right? The purpose 
was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now Abraham is the father of the faith. Now, is he the father of the faith of only the Jewish people, the circumcised? The answer is, according to Paul, no, actually. The reason why then the story happened the way it did, this is Paul's exegesis of Genesis, the, way, the reason why the, the story happened the way it did is because God always planned for Abraham to be the father of the faithful circumcised. And the faithful uncircumcised. That's Paul's exegesis. All right? He was counted righteous before he was, he was circumcised. Ergo, you don't have to be circumcised to be righteous. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law. But for where there is no law, there is no transgression. I mean, it's one of the facts about the law is it was given and then they had a real problem keeping the law, right, throughout their history. Uh, the law ultimately did cause them issues, all right? That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, of course he's talking about the Jews there, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Let's continue. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. Now this, I think, is another interesting piece of exegesis here. Abraham was told by God, all right, you will be the father of many nations. Physically speaking, all right, in terms of the promise itself, Abraham was only the father of one nation. Right? Now, he had Ishmael, which was another nation, but he was not a part of the promise. All right? The promise was through Isaac. And through Isaac came one nation, not multiple nations. All right? So if that's the case, what does it mean to say then Abraham would be the father of of many nations. This is once again Paul looking at the book of Genesis, exegeting and going, Oh, oh, now I understand. This is actually how Abraham was going to be the father of more than one nation. All right? He wouldn't be the physical father of more than one nation. All right? That's not the point. He would actually be the spiritual father of more than one nation. In hope he believed against hope, 
that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse 19. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And if we think back to the Isaac story of Isaac's potential sacrifice, all right, how was Abraham doing? Well, Abraham was, in verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, right? God knew, all right, excuse me, Abraham knew that God had the power. God was the one who could give life to the dead and could call things that don't exist into existence. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Now, Paul's about to here make a very important note. All right? A very important note. If we think about our faith, all right? If we think about our faith, we do not, all right? We do not have as our focal point. We do not have as that focal point the promise to Abraham that he would be given the land of Canaan and that he would have many physical offspring. That's not actually the focus of our faith, all right? Uh, that was central, absolutely central to the to the, the, the faith of Abraham's physical descendants. It's not what's going on with us, all right? I mean, we believe that, all right? Uh, we believe God made a promise, and God was faithful to that promise, all right? We totally believe that, but that's not our focal point. What is it? Verse 24. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And this is one of those central pieces of New Testament theology, all right, which causes a major which caused a major issue, all right, in the first century. Because you've got as the focal point God's promise to Abraham then executed in the Exodus and in the going into the promised land. That's the focal point for a very long time. And suddenly, all right, the Christians go, that's not the focal point anymore. That's not the unifying thing that actually draws us all together. As a matter of fact, all that would draw together would be the Jews, right? Because we weren't given these promises, right? That would only bring together the Jews. What Paul, all right, is saying here, which would have made a lot and did make a lot of Jews angry, is the focal point has changed. Something, in other words, something more important, all right, than the Exodus, for example, has actually happened, all right? Something more important than that. And so, therefore, that's the thing we look at primarily. Can we look at the Exodus? 
and learn from it and learn about God's faithfulness? Absolutely we can. But that's not our defining moment, right? The defining moment has changed. Even for Paul, right? Paul was a Jew. The defining moment for Paul changed, all right? Instead of being focused on the Abraham descendant chain in that story, focused on a different story, which is ultimately a fulfillment of the original story. And that is the story of Christ. It is counted to us who believe in him, the Father, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access to faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as far as Paul's narrative so far, He's not just talking about the Gentiles here. He's talking about the Jews. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's the change. We rejoice in God. They could do that before. All right? You didn't need Jesus, all right, to rejoice in God in the Old Testament. All right? This is a shift. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. The focus has changed. All right? We can rejoice in God not just through the prophets, all right, not just through the law. Actually, rejoicing God instead through Jesus Christ, the new center point. Should you believe in the, Abraham, the promises given to Abraham? Absolutely you should. And as a matter of fact, elsewhere, or for example, Galatians, if you haven't read it in a while, go back and read it. Actually, he talks at length about Jesus' coming was to fulfill that promise to Abraham, right? And so they're all connected. Yes, yeah, he is the true seed of Abraham, right? So it's all connected. But the focus is no longer on the beginning, but on the culmination of the thing. So if you think about faith, all right, our faith is very much like Abraham's in a sense, all right? It's it's not without, it's not ignorance, all right? There are things we don't see yet, right? There's plenty we don't see. We don't see the resurrection, all right? We don't see the judgment with our eyes. That's where faith comes in. But this is not 
based on ignorance. As a matter of fact, if your faith is based on ignorance, you're much more likely to sin. That's why we study the scriptures, all right? If someone says to you, yes, I worship God, and he told me to do a human sacrifice. No, actually, it's quite clear in the scriptures at this point. Abraham did not know that. It is very clear in the scriptures at this point. That is wrong, all right? Faith is based on knowledge. Much has been revealed. Much more has been revealed to us than Abraham ever knew, all right? So it is even based on more knowledge by us. As a part of that faith, all right, you will have to submit to doing things that you will not like. Paul mentioned, all right, Paul mentioned in this, we just read in verse 3, not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. This was not an abstract concept for Paul. Paul suffered much, all right, repeatedly. He did it. He did it anyway, all right? Because often we have to maybe do something we don't want to do. We have to go through uncomfortable things. It's a part of the journey of faith. Paul would also understand the idea, all right, and our faith that will separate us, all right? Now, Paul, all right, being born a Jew, growing up in a Jew, would know a great deal as a Pharisee about separating himself from Gentiles, right? But we also know that Paul, all right, after he believed in Christ, later came to the realization, I can actually, I can actually be around the Gentiles now, (laughs) right? I can be around with them because Abraham is actually the father of the uncircumcised too, right? That's that's something that Paul had to, that's something that all the Jews had to deal with. That's something that Peter had to deal with, right? You remember the dream, vision of the unclean animals coming out of heaven. It's something they had to deal with. They were used to separating themselves. Now Paul could go hang out with the Gentiles, but still there was a lot he could not do, right? There are still things that we are required to do and required not to do that separate us from those around us. And that's what the nature of faith is. I want to encourage you. Embrace that. All right? Make up your mind. All right? Make up your mind that you will have this kind of faith. That you will grow in knowledge. That you will understand the commandments of God. What he expects of us. Make up your mind that you're willing to live with that uncomfortability of being separated and not being able to do, all right, some of the things that they do. Avoiding some of the things that they like, all right, and being willing to suffer for it and be disadvantaged for it. It was true of Abraham. It's true of us today. In some way, much has changed, but in some ways, nothing has ultimately changed. That's just the way it is. So have faith. Pray for faith. Encourage faith in others. Pray for faith today, that God will increase your faith. And he will do it. Let's be dismissed. Uh, Grady, will you please pray for us? Father, thank you for 
time. Thank you for uh, uh, giving Dirk some words for us uh, about you and uh, in your word that we should hear and we can profit from and grow and see how you worked uh, through history and Abraham and faith and what's important, how we have uh, a given us faith based on knowledge and, and your spirit and Father, even though we don't see everything, we can rest in uh, what you said and have peace and joy as your children. Uh, we pray that we increase our faith and we would uh, be used by you to be a light to the world, to honor you, to be doing exactly what you want us to do. Uh, pray that you will be with us as we go to the worship hour, be with you, messenger. May your word uh, continue to be spoken with uh, uh, power and truth and in a way that would greatly honor you and help us to grow. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.